And welcome back to the Higher Ground Society podcast. This is your host, Gerald Crook, and I'm very excited to kick off um, what will be a very special month for us uh, here at Higher Ground Society. The month of May is, if you don't know, Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And so this month, we will be um, chatting with members of the Asian community, of the Pacific Islander community, um, and which I say Asia, because it's and that's really misleading because Asia is massive, right? So we'll be talking about talking to folks from um, from the continent of Asia. Uh, I'll just leave it bl- like blank at that abroad and uh, at that point. Um, but we're going to talk to them about you know their life in Alabama and you know their culture, and we're just going to get to connect with that part of our Alabama community. And I'm super thrilled to have our first guest with us, a very dear friend of mine, um, it's Chaitra Gururaj. Hey, Gerald, it's great to be with you here today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chaitra. Um, I actually met Chaitra, I don't know how long, it's been maybe about four or five years ago, uh, and we were brought together um, by music, which, go figure, right? (laughs) So (laughs) um, I'm very, very excited for you guys to get to know Chaitra. Uh, Chaitra, will you please tell us who, um, who, introduce yourself, who who are you? Okay, so my name is Chaitra Gururaja, and uh, I come from India. I was born in Bangalore, and uh, I was raised there. So I did my master's in biotechnology, but music was always uh, my serious hobby. It was like, uh, there's a general perception that, you know, it's difficult to live your life as a musician, so you need to have academic backing. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, though music was my passion, I pursued uh, biotechnology as my backup. And I kept music, uh, uh, pursuing music all along. And uh, then I, I got married in 2007. And uh, then I followed my husband to the US. Our first stop was in Atlanta. Then he got a job in Auburn University, mm-hmm. uh, which he really liked. So that brought me into Alabama. And it's been 10 years now. Wow, that's great. So, I mean, I just learned something. I don't think we've ever actually ever talked about that. So I'm glad <laughs> I asked um, your question, that question. I'm very curious. So you said biotechnology? Yes, yes. Really briefly, I know we're not talking about the sciences. We don't talk about STEM on this podcast. Um, <laughs> it's all about the art. Oh, I know. Um, but I'm very curious. Please tell me, what, what does that entail and, and what, in, what in, interests you about that? Like I said, it was... Uh, uh, more of a you know thing that had to be done rather than uh, genuine in- interest, because uh, in India there's a mindset that you know you need to be a doctor or an engineer sure. to have a standing in the society and to be secure of your future. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, cricketers, you know, sports athletes who are actually engineers. Wow. So, <laughs> so this was uh, my backup plan because. Uh, the course format allowed me to have some time for music okay. and the college that uh, was offering this course also had a very good music program. Mm-hmm. So that was how I got into this. And uh, compared to math, biology was better for me and sure. biotechnology dealt with plant tissue culture 
and the microbiology, biochemistry, molecular biology, wow. different aspects. And it's actually very interesting as concepts, mm-hmm. even though I didn't make a career out of it, but mm-hmm. the concepts were more, you know, dealable for me. That's incredible. I love it. So, I, I mean, I love hearing that diversity in the person's background where you do, you said there are professional athletes who have engineering degrees, which is incredible. I mean, I, you have that sometimes here in the U.S., but I feel like most times, especially in, in you know, you know this for sure being at, at Auburn, a lot of the athletes there are going to school and the the sports is their primary focus within the background stuff is they, they might be majoring in something um that's like engineering or something of that nature but uh this is really great i love how you've been able to pursue um that which is very in- interesting but also uh, what we're going to talk about today um your music specifically so um before we get too far down into the music i want to learn more about you even more so um I've never been to India, believe it or not. <laughs> so oh. it's going to visit. I really want to make it happen one day. Um, it's definitely on the list, the short list. Um, so for listeners who might be very unfamiliar with the, the country, um, what was it like for you growing up in India? Well, um, so I grew up in Bangalore or Bengaluru, which is an urban city. Okay. So uh, I was from the uh, south of Bangalore. So at home, I had uh, this environment of the old Bangalore feel and uh, with the old, like the southern culture that was where I was, uh, you know, that mm-hmm. was there at home. And at school and college and at work, it was an urban city which was attracting people from all over India. Mm-hmm. It, you, Bangalore used to be called as the pensioner's paradise or the garden city, mm-hmm. but of late it has become the Silicon Valley of India. Oh, okay. There are opportunities galore and that's attracting people. So, um, you know, I got the chance to interact with people from different states mm-hmm. all over India. And uh, so that way I could kind of see uh, the point of view of both sections of the society in a way. Mm -hmm. And in India, what happens is that each state has its own language. Sure. Cultural identity is very strong in terms of states because Mm -hmm. they used to be independent kingdoms. Mm -hmm. So people have uh, diversity in terms of food in terms of clothing mm-hmm. in terms of you know different traditions that they follow sometimes the traditions are starkly in contrast with each other mm-hmm. and when uh, two indians or uh, a number of indians meet from different states the common language is english uh, wow <laughs> it's not possible for us to know all of the languages wow. So English is the medium of education. So Mm -hmm. that kind of becomes a means of communication. Hindi is another popular Indian language that that is popular throughout, but uh, you can't really say that everybody would know either English or Hindi. And sometimes in the rural background, it's like sign language. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, we don't even know a word of each other's language to be able to communicate. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, so, that's very interesting. So speaking of which, um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like, what's your mother tongue? Since there are so many different languages, what, what's your mother tongue? My mother tongue is called as Kannada. Okay, so that is a state called as Karnataka. Okay, okay. 
yeah and uh, the motto that we are taught in school in india is uh, something called as unity in diversity okay so there's a lot of stress on that because uh, india used to be different uh, little kingdoms and then you know there were many invasions and then there was british colonization mm-hmm. and then when the struggle for independence happened you know people came together there was always a sense of india being together as a whole mm-hmm. but the sense of this uh, smaller uh, identity within that kingdom within that state was also very strong mm-hmm. so there was uh, a call for people to unite as a country and you know kind of swallow up some of those differences mm. and uh, live together and you know that way the econ- economy became so much more stronger and uh, you know people just realize that you know embracing diversity is a better way of living wow so that's fantastic that is, that is so great i'm learning so much already and it's only been like a couple of minutes uh <laughs> that's phenomenal uh, I, i honestly whenever i think of india specifically like geographically i mean i think that's like the 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 most that we get to see of it you know it's often just like a backdrop for you know hollywood films or something like that and so we don't really get to know um this immense diversity i mean i think we also get an idea that the culture is very rich because it's very different from us <laughs> um but to know like the different languages i mean i didn't i mean i after you know talking with you and rasika and our other friends in 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 uh, in auburn I get an idea of it but I didn't realize that it was that diverse where you know English is the common language <laughs> that that binds folks and that's really interesting um wow so thank you for sharing that uh and I also too just because I'm nosy uh, what's your your family like uh did you have a, a small family growing up or a larger family um what was that like um we were part of a joint family first and okay. then you know we were in a nuclear family but we were very very close to our extended family okay. so when i think of family for me the minimum number would be like 50 people okay that's like my core family and then you know if you think of extended family yes wow 50 that's people. that's okay. the minimum and then uh, you think of extended family that would be 200 so for my wedding uh, there were like a thousand people who attended it <laughs> oh my god <laughs> That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's wonderful it's, it's like uh socially um how do i say you meet people on the streets it's not as spaced out as it is here mm-hmm. so houses are close by and people mm-hmm. do interact a lot with each other mm-hmm. and uh, kind of you know people are let into each other's lives very freely sometimes it can be bothersome you know a lot of interference and stuff mm-hmm. but you also have a lot to fall back on like a huge social fabric like a thing that you can fall back on mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah it, it's a lot of fun and you get to interact with many different personalities and yeah. you know people from different generations mm-hmm. you get to learn a lot of things in a setup like that I bet. I mean, it, it's definitely like a, each family is its own community. It was what it sounds like. And uh, I think, you know, it, one of the, I think one of the common conceptions of India is that it's very populous. So there are a lot of folks uh, there. Um, but even you just put that into perspective. I think we 
maybe it's a very American idea where we are just, we might have a lot of people in a city, but we're all individuals or we're all, our units are definitely smaller. But the fact that you, you're, you consider your core family to be 50 people just blew my mind because my core family is six folks. Well, that's you know my parents and my siblings. Um, and even if we go out to my cousins, it's still, I don't know if it's still getting to the, the 50 number and I'm still, you know, gagging over this 1,000 person <laughs> wedding. That's insane. That was, I bet it was amazing though. Um, yeah, and it was also not something out of the ordinary. Oh, wow. <laughs> so people do have that. It's like, if it's a wedding, you just invite everybody you know. Mm-hmm. You, you met them once, you met them a hundred times. If it's mm-hmm. a wedding, they're coming. That's so. wonderful. That's very beautiful. I love that. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so, I mean, yeah. So, India, what's the time difference? Is it a 22-hour time difference between uh, Alabama and India? No, it's, uh, I think, 10 and a half hours. Oh, I don't know so. where I got 22 from. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so, it's just morning and night difference. Sure, morning, morning and night difference. It's very far away is what I'm getting at. How do you stay, try to stay connected um, to your Indian heritage being so far away? And, and we're going to talk about this later, but Alabama and India are very different. <laughs> so how do you stay connected um, to that? Well, I cook my way into it. Okay. We food uh, every day, you know, very regularly. Mm-hmm. So that is one part of it that feels like, you know, that, Something hasn't changed too much because you're still eating the same food here. We we have uh, Indian groceries uh, stores uh, yeah. in big cities, yeah. so we make it a point to go there, get it, and kind of maintain that part of our life sure. uh, as it was. And uh, the biggest thing that connects me to India is my music. Sure. So I've been able to continue the music that I learned there. Mm-hmm. You know, continue those uh, musical traditions, actually. The music is, it's a kind of a package mm-hmm. uh, where you're experiencing those traditions as you get into the music. Mm-hmm. So that is the biggest thing that connects me back to India. Mm-hmm. We also visit every summer okay. with the kids, you know, so that they get to know at least the names of all these people, right? Sure, sure. So, and they get to learn the language, get acclimatized to that culture. Mm-hmm. And um, it also helps me to keep in touch with the music scene back in Bengaluru and in India, mm-hmm. which is very dynamic and, you know, it's evolving. Um, the Western influence is huge mm-hmm. on India. Wow. Because, you know, English is a language of education. Mm -hmm. So this uh, native languages are slowly taking a backseat. There's an influx of English words into every aspect of that language. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, culturally also with the dressing, with attitudes, people are becoming more and more individualistic. Mm. And so there's a lot of changes that are going on. And at uh, times I've seen with some of my friends, if they are not able to visit, they get stuck in a time frame Mm -hmm. and imagine India as it was when they left the country, which Uh would be totally different from what it is in, you know, today's day and age. So that is how the connection works. Sure. That's beautiful. I love that. Uh, two two things I want to pick up on. So uh, I will go with, with your kids and you're talking about the languages and how they're taking uh, a back seat. I mean, I think something, um, you know, 
it's part of the humanities or that, you know, it attributes to each culture's humanity is the actual, the language. Because for so long, that's how people were able to communicate with each other, right? Before imperialist English came, <laughs> came and, you know, changed everything. Um, and, you know, so that's something that I'm very, very particular about. And I, and, and I love the fact that you take your kids back and you are keeping them immersed in that culture, particularly the language. How does that work uh, with your kids and in, 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 uh, teaching them the language and keeping them immersed in it? Because again, I have some friends, particularly I know one friend in particular who came from Nigeria as a young child and spoke, you know, Igbo, if I'm not mistaken, was, pretty sure it's Igbo, not Yoruba. Um, and... After a while, they said, you know, I was teased as a kid because I spoke, I had this accent, I spoke this different language, and it just grew out of me. And so they lost this connection to that language. So I'm curious, how is that working with your, are you very insistent about teaching uh, <laughs> your kids the language? Well, I can totally identify with your friend's experience mm -hmm. because uh, my son, my second son, when he went to school, we had stayed in India for a long time, you know, during mm -hmm. the lock lockdown my mother wasn't feeling well so we mm. stayed for there for a while and with kids you know they're so flexible you stay for a couple of months in India come back they have the Indian accent and you know they're uh, they're better at speaking the native language mm -hmm. so immediately he got teased oh. and uh, he started, uh, you know, trying to avoid the language as much as possible. Mm. So it's it's a continuous process. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not easy. There has to be that balance because these kids are growing up here. Mm -hmm. uh, it's impossible to try to make them, you know, completely uh, away from the culture here or belonging to that culture. So they have a balancing act, mm. which is much more difficult than uh, for for the immigrant generation, for our generation, mm -hmm. we had one thing to fall back upon. We came here as adults with our views formed, what we want, but mm -hmm. as kids, they're still learning and growing and their uh, you know, peer approval matters a lot for kids at that stage. Absolutely. So again, music comes in handy. Oh, good. And it's a nice, fun way for the kids to keep in touch with the culture. Sure. Through songs, through the instruments, through that, you know, whole experience of doing Indian music. Mm -hmm. That's so. great. Um, so tell me more about how you actually got involved in music. I, I will admit, in preparing for this and watching some of the videos, and I was... I love lurking through comments. And I noticed that someone mentioned that this... It, that mentioned said something that suggested that this might be a family tradition for you uh, to be a part of music. So tell, tell us how you got involved uh, with music to begin with. Well, my grandfather, uh, Prahalad Rao, he, he, I'm very close to him and really look up to him. Mm -hmm. He is a singer himself okay. and uh, he, he didn't pursue it a whole lot. It's been his hobby throughout. Mm -hmm. So he really wanted me to, you know, try and uh, have a shot at it. Mm -hmm. And my mother used to play the veena and she loved music. Mm -hmm. Her brothers, one of them is a accomplished uh, accordion artist. Okay. One of the very few in the entire country is actually trying Indian classical music on the accordion. Like wow. one of the first in the whole world, maybe. Wow. So, and his, uh, my mother's other brother, he self-taught himself how to play the mandolin, the bulbul tarang, 
among many other uh, instruments mm-hmm. so with the number of cousins and everything music was always there in the family mm-hmm. if you just get together uh, you would ask a child you know what is your name and then when the child is you know probably thinking is like forget about your name sing me a song let's see how you do that <laughs> <laughs> wow that is the kind of environment i was in so the minute they knew that i could sing in key like two words and in key like go put her into the music class wow. so it was like that and initially i just went with the flow you know go to classes try to learn do whatever is needed but i think i seriously got into it in college okay when i attended a performance mm-hmm. there was a flute concert mm-hmm. that kind of completely changed my view because i hadn't been listening to a whole lot of concerts because uh, at home you know there was this whole stress about studies and music was kind of like an academic pursuit mm-hmm. but I, when i went and experienced that concert it it blew me away and i knew that you know this is what i'm going to kind of pursue very mm-hmm. seriously i want this in my life wow mm-hmm. so when you say pursue so you, you are you classically trained i'm, I'm imagining Yes. Okay. So, you know, I think again being a westerner we just lump everything into some kind of category and I just considered it as like Indian music. But correct me if I'm wrong is there are different types, you know, of Indian music, right? Um and I think what you primarily perform in is Carnatic, is that correct? Yes, that's right. Right. So tell us what are some of the dis- distinct traits of Carnatic music and how did you get trained in that? Well, so Indian music as a whole uh has a lot of common features okay. it's based on a system of ragas and talas okay. raga being the melodic element and tala being the rhythmic element okay and uh, in in indian classical music as a whole there is uh, no concept of harmonies it's more melodic and uh, you know each artist picks the key they are comfortable in to perform a piece pieces are not set to a certain key yeah. and uh, and there's a lot of uh, emphasis on improvisation okay in carnatic music uh, particularly that it is from the south of india carnatic music okay. and uh, it has something called as gamakas which is the movement of notes mm-hmm. which is very typical to this form of music okay it's a very distinct feature and another thing is manodharmam or improvisation okay. there's a whole lot of emphasis on that there is emphasis on performing the composed piece you know with respect to the rules and traditions but also the spontaneity is literally celebrated that uh, performers can come up with but again it is within a very um very organized framework mm-hmm. so even the spontaneity has to be within those boundaries so it's actually one of the most uh, interesting things to you know to, to listen or to actually sing or just to experience it it gives that music its uh, flavor and vitality sure. the uh, improvisation part is uh, found in the beginning of a piece and okay. that's like a introduction where there's no lyrics you just use a couple of syllables to present the musical idea mm-hmm. behind that raga or that piece then you know we'll launch into the composed piece 
and in the middle of the piece again there's scope for improvisation okay that framework and in the end it's always with improvisation with you know permutations and combinations the grand finale comes with you know how fast your mind can move you know how well you're able to calculate and emote at the same time mm-hmm. so wow. it's very it is you know it sounds a lot like jazz to me jazz yes uh, that is one thing i've heard a lot okay so that you know it is like jazz it is like jazz i think uh, they both uh, vary in terms of how the rules are set cool. in which the improvisation can be done but mm-hmm. yes that is something that uh, you would compare it with wow yeah and i just it is and you guys will hear it uh, later in the episode like it's just it's so it's for me i feel like i'm like entranced it's so beautiful and so like dynamic and so distinct and i just cannot wait for you guys to hear some of the um the the music that we're actually going to share um the first of which is kudri hoite so um going to give you a little sample of what that sounds like kudri hoite nare Okay, Taitra, would you please um, introduce this, give us a general summary of what's going on in this song. So this uh, song is a poem written by Santa Shishunala Sharifa. And uh, this poet is a social reformer, okay. a mystic poet. Mm-hmm. He's from Karnataka. And uh, the poem is in my native language, Kannada. and uh, it talks about uh, elements of the mind he uses kudri or the horse as a metaphor for the mind of how you know it can be flighty at times or you know upon introspection there can be wisdom in the mind mm-hmm. so it has uh, his style of uh, poetry is that uh, it has seemingly simple lines but if you dig deeper there are many 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 layers to it Okay. they're very deep and insightful kind of poems and this uh, this poem has been set to tune by a legendary composer called as raju anantaswami okay and he's a trailblazer he uses chromatic notes and very unconventional rhythmic patterns even in this song he has made a switch in the rhythm to kind of show the different uh, trots of the horse and you know the changeable nature of that whole uh, thing that the poem is aiming for mm-hmm. and uh, it it's just uh, amazing and the genre to which it uh, belongs is called as uh, sugama sangeeta which is actually a form that evolved uh, to kind of break from the uh, traditions of classical music which had very rigid rules and people found it difficult to experiment with new things mm-hmm. and uh, this form came about to uh, give life to contemporary poems through music so uh, you know there was a shift in the usage of uh, you know chest voice chest register which is predominant in the classical genre mm-hmm. 
to using you know head voice mixed voice or falsetto that uh, that kind of experimentation that kind of shift was seen in this genre and different instruments came into play which was uh, not used in a traditional carnatic concert like harmonium and tabla which were more of a northern music um, elements they were able to come in okay and uh, it it this genre has elements of pop it has elements of classical music it okay. has elements of folk so it's it's actually it kind of aims to be a genre free genre sure that's <laughs> yeah. incredible it's beautiful and so i i want to pull out two, two things here so the first and most immediately is you mentioned the harmonium in the tabla being more of a northern indian thing I did not realize that and so I mean you guys have probably heard a harmonium before it's more like um kind of like a, an accordion right it's related to the accordion mm-hmm. except it sits on its own and like a kind of like a box thing yes uh, it's really it it it's kind of like a foundation of a lot of the songs that I've heard per- personally um it kind of creates a laser foundation for what's going on um over the rest of the song and then a tabla that those are actually drums right yes so I just assumed that that was a continental India Indian thing. Um so are there South Indian drums that are different? Uh Yes, the South Indian drums are called as mridangam and uh, South Indian drums actually have a wide variety. So we have the mridangam which is the horizontal drum and then we have ghatam which is an earthen pot. and we have uh, morching which is like a jaw harp okay. and there's khanjira which is uh, like a hand drum mm-hmm. and we also have a system of vocalizing the rhythmic uh, beats that is called as konnakol so with all of these elements in play we can have a percussion concert wow only drums do the talking okay. so be you know it, it is an experience to kind of listen to that concert and to have the you know each uh, instrument is very highly tuned mm-hmm. they're all acoustic instruments mm-hmm. and each one comes in its own key and they're you know tuned to precision so they have a very uh, resonant sound and uh, people have even tried to bring out tunes or melody using different wow. drums So yeah it is very interesting there. That's fantastic. Thank you for making the distinction because again here I am just assuming <laughs> that it was this, this this broad thing and that's what I want to be sure to capture in this conversation. There's so much going on in Indian culture and in the Indian music and so at any point that we can pull those out and make those distinctions I'd love to do that. Um so back to Kudri Hoite. Um so you said it's a poem that mm-hmm. kind of uses the horse as a metaphor as a symbol of that represents the mind and you said it's in the the language Karnataka Kannada 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 I'm so bad at pronouncing these No no don't worry Rosika <laughs> is trying to teach me and I, and she said I'm a good student but I feel very very subpar but I'm going to keep keep going Um, <laughs> um so can you are there any lines in the song that stand out to you or that are really um poignant that you could kind of translate to us and and let us you know get us let us into the song a little bit more for us english listeners 
Well, the for me the opening lines uh, it kind of captured me. Okay. It's kudri hoite nari, bhava da kudri hoite nari. Mm-hmm. So it simply says that the horse go then it adds that word bhavada which means the one of emotions okay so that kind of makes the whole you know it takes the game into a whole new level mm-hmm. then the horse go and maybe it went i don't know but when you say <laughs> the emotions then you realize that he's actually talking about the mind and you know how it takes flight and uh, there are uh, many of his uh, teachings in that you know he says gnanada sokkanu muriyuvanta ghana kudre hoyite so people kind of tend to get worked up on all the knowledge they have acquired mm. and he says the horse did it break that uh, pride of having acquired knowledge and did it take off Mm. So, wow. Yeah, that's so, that's very important. Um, especially, it's very important to to grasp, especially you know in the the times that we live in, where we're so inundated with social media, the twenty four hour <laughs> news cycle. Um, I personally definitely feel the overwhelming pressure of you know having all this information and feeling the need to acquire it to stay on top of things. Um, but also wanting to be relaxed and free from it. So this is definitely a song I will never forget this. Now. <laughs> I can always use this as something to kind of explain um you know how I feel about that. That's that's the beauty of of music. Um that's that's awesome. Do you have any other do you have another line that you that you could share? Or <laughs> or any, any other? Uh, um so so the last line hatti kutare shishanala dhishana sutta suttisi padake raguva bhavada kudri hoyte so there's uh, the system of having the poet's name inserted into the poem that's the way you know people used to do copyrights back then okay yeah so shishunala dhisha is referring to shishunala sharifa who is the actual poet of this uh, uh, poem mm-hmm. so if uh, if he sits on it and uh, or or if it sits on it you can interpret it either ways mm-hmm. then it'll take you around and bring you to your feet it kind of uh, talks about uh, mastery of the mind you know if the ma- mind is your master or you are the master of the mind ah okay so Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's very uh you know it's very difficult to kind of bring you know give music to this kind of lyrics which can be interpreted you know so deeply mm-hmm. and uh, this song stands out in the way it has been composed and I was actually lucky to perform this with a group called as Noisy Neighbors. Mhm. and they are an indian band but they are from the uh, part that's called as uh, west bengal so they speak a language called as bengali mm-hmm. and when we started doing this they had no idea about what the song was talking about wow. so i explained it the same way that i explained to you today mm-hmm. and you know once the music started we had the north indian bansuri the north indian flute and we used a rhythm pad to kind of get a you know deep drums effect mm-hmm. and then we had a bass guitar so it it all just came together uh, that is uh, one thing that i've loved about doing music here mm-hmm. 
it's just about how it can all come together absolutely so, yeah yeah and see if you hadn't shared that i would have known it felt the performance felt very natural uh I, you just assume that everyone um you know came to this on the same page but there was a learning curve even for the differences going all the way back to that that diversity back in in, in india uh, but you guys did an incredible performance of it uh as typical with higher ground society podcast interviews with musicians the uh, song uh, uh, the song will be played at the end of the episode so hang around so that you can hear kudri hoite very nice thank you so much Tetra, for uh, sharing that Namaste, this is Chaitra Gururaj and you're listening to the Higher Ground Society podcast. Please enjoy my performance of Kudre Hoite with the Noisy Neighbors. Kudre Hoite Nari Kudre Hoite Nari
Kudri Hoite, performed by Chaitra Gururaj of the Auburn University Indian Music Ensemble and the Noisy Neighbors. Tune in later this week to hear the second part of my conversation with Chaitra. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be great.